Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. I want to talk to you a little bit about Michael Jackson, okay? When I was about in eighth grade, almost a freshman in high school, um, Michael Jackson finally came out with a new album. Now, if you were a child of the 80s like I was, you know this, that Thriller defined your elementary school years. Maybe your junior high years, am I right? Like, the Thriller album, it was just everything. Michael Jackson Thriller set all sorts of records. You, back then, kids, just so you know, like, you had to listen to music on the radio, and if you wanted to hear a song, you had to call in the radio station. And I actually, I would call 828-1015, which was the phone number for WBNQ, and I would call in, and I would wait, and I would request a song. Can you play um, Thriller by Michael Jackson? And they'd say, okay, we'll get it on the rotation. And then you would take your cassette recorder where you could play music, and you would wait until that song came on the radio, and then, like, you'd literally wait for an hour. And then when that song came on, you would hit record as quick as possible, and you'd just hope that the DJ would shut up, right? Stop talking over the intro of my song, dude, because that's how you got to listen to your song over and over again. Just flashback. And Michael Jackson, dude, he, he just he defined radio for me. He opened up that whole musical horizon for me when I was in elementary school. And then you waited and waited and waited. And finally, in 1990, he came out with a brand new album. And the album was called Bad. And I, you know what? I, just, I wasn't planning on doing this, so this is kind of going to be just like a thing. But, but dude, just like... Yeah. Any children of the 80s, you want to get that moving? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Little Michael Jackson Bad. Dude, he came out with this song, and like I was just like, he's back. And he changed our vocabulary. Like he introduced the word shamon to, to our vocabulary. Shamon. And like you'd be, shoot, you'd be playing basketball with your buddies and you know, you'd get a layup and you're like, bro, way to go. Shamon. And you just shamon, shamon back to you, brother. Yes, shamon. It was awesome. Michael Jackson was just the coolest. And what he did with this song though is he introduced in the lexicon the word bad, but he introduced it in a totally different way. Because everyone over 40 was like, oh, what is bad good now? <laughs> you're like, you don't understand. You don't understand because you're over 40. Like, I don't understand why bad is good. <laughs> Tie. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm over 40 now, but in my heart, you know, I just want you to know that. But like, they didn't get it, man. They didn't get it because bad was good. All of a sudden, Michael Jackson changed everything so that bad was awesome. And Michael Jackson made it so that gangs were cool because they didn't fight with guns and knives. They fought with the power of dance. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone? Yeah, the children of the 80s know. Go Google it after service. The bad Mike music video. You'll know. You'll know. Bad changed the definition of bad, and it made bad good. And right now, we're at the beginning of a new year. And a ton of us have a bunch of New Year's resolutions. And we have New Year's resolutions to change something in our lives so that we can have a better life. But I, I wonder about this, because every time New Year's comes around and I think about my resolutions, I, it just bothers me a little bit. Why is it that everything that I want to change feels really good, and everything that I need to change it to feels really bad? right? Why is it that like the eating ice cream in bed feels really good? You know, why is it that, that drinking a day's worth of calories in a Starbucks drink feels awesome? Why is it that sleeping in until eight or nine o'clock in the morning feels great? And then why is it that getting up early before the sun comes up and like realizing that the sun actually comes up, you know, it's dark before it comes up when, before people get out of bed and realizing that and getting up early and going to the gym, why is it that that feels so 
crappy. Getting on the stair climber, yuck. Lifting weights, gross. Treadmill, no thank you, right? Am I, come on, let's just be honest. Am I right? Like, let's, there's, there's people in here and they're like, I know I got to quit smoking. I know I'm going to stop it. That's my New Year's resolution. But you're like, but smoking feels good. And <laughs> not smoking feels bad. And my kids and my husband or my wife, they're like, when you smoke, it feels good. Because when you don't look out, you know, stop it. New Year's comes around and all of a sudden things that feel good, we got to get rid of them and we got to start adding things into our life that feel bad. But the thing is, we do it because intuitively we know this, that there are things that we do that might feel bad, but that they're actually the best thing for us. We get up and go to the gym because we know that being healthy is going to give us the best life we can live. We forego maybe that third or fourth or fifth or six scoop of ice cream because we know this, that a little bit less sugar is going to make me healthier. And if I'm healthier, I'm going to live a better life. I can lead myself to the best life possible. Intuitively, we know this. That's why we have these resolutions, that there are things that don't feel good that might feel bad because it gives us a better life. Sometimes, sometimes bad is best. Sometimes things that don't feel very good in the moment are actually the best thing for us. And the reason we do them is because we want to live the best life that we could ever possibly make. And again, we know this intuitively because every time the new year comes around, we start looking at the things that we need to implement in our lives that maybe don't feel good, but that are best for us. And this principle that sometimes bad is best, or sometimes this principle that bad is actually a good thing, it it applies to our spiritual lives as well. There's, there's a spiritual truth to this principle and a spiritual perspective on how bad can be best in our lives. And so what I want to do at the beginning of the new year, I just want to talk about how bad can be best in our spiritual lives and how we can shift our perspective on some of the bad things that might exist in our lives and some of the bad things that might exist in your life and so that you can begin to see how it might be the very best thing for you. And we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus' parents and we're going we're gonna to go right to Mary and Joseph to kind of explore this out. Now, it's, it's New Year's. Christmas is over. Everybody have a good Christmas? Good presents? Yeah? How many of you guys, like, I don't know if you're like me, but, like, I really get geared up and excited about Christmas and, like, the presents and the food and the family. And then when Christmas is over, there's this, like, Christmas hangover, right? Where you're just like, I don't ever want to think about Christmas again as long as I live. Do we have to do this next year? I don't want to do this next year, right? And it's just, there can be kind of this hangover, this letdown that happens after the holidays. Where this best, this best holiday ever can lead you to the point afterwards where you're just like, ugh. Mary and Joseph had a Christmas hangover. They had a Christmas letdown that I think is, is pretty remarkable. Because think about from their perspective. Jesus was this gift that God promised to Mary and Joseph. He told Mary and Joseph that he was going to be the Emmanuel, that Jesus was going to come, and he was going to be the person who was going to save the world, save people from their sin, to reconcile a new relationship between people and God that wasn't based on living a perfect life and that wasn't based on, on making sacrifices or trying to, to pay penalties for our sins. It was based on this relationship with God and that Jesus was going to be given to them as their child and they were going to raise him and he was going to be this person who was literally going to change the world. And they got the promise. And then the angels sang and the wise men came and they gave them these extravagant gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which even if you don't know what those things are, it, it, it's a lot of money. Okay, that's wealthy. I mean, wealth that they were given because Jesus was coming. They had the best Christmas ever. And if you're marrying Joseph, you should be like, everything should be perfect now, right? 
Well, look what happens. Matthew chapter 2. After the wise men were gone, right after Jesus was born, right after the wise men visit and give them these extravagant, wealthy gifts. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So this is, again, an angel appeared to Joseph. And the angel says this, Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said, and stay there until I tell you to return. Because Herod, who was the king and the ruler over Judea at the time, Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So that night, Joseph left Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there in Egypt until Herod's death. So Herod was the ruler at the time, and the wise men had actually gone to Herod first. And they're like, we, we've seen the star in the sky, and we've kind of heard these like rumblings that maybe this Messiah is going to be born, that maybe something incredible is happening, and he's going to be the king of the Jews. And, and we, we just wanted to know if you knew anything about that. And Herod's like, huh, I don't. That's interesting. But hey, if you, if you do hear anything about that, let me know. And then they leave, and he's like, dude, they better let me know, because there can't be someone else claiming to be king, because I'm king. And so because Herod didn't want to lose his power, he didn't want to lose his kingdom, Herod decided this. There's a rumor that the Messiah is being born in Bethlehem. So I'm just going to send my troops out there and I'm going to have them kill every baby, every male child, two and under. Because that way he can't be this Messiah. He can't be the king of the Jews. He can't take my position and I'm secure and I'm set. That's what Herod did. And so Mary and Joseph, warned by an angel, they take Jesus as a baby. Again, it's Jesus. He's he's the promised Messiah. He's going to change the world. He's going to save everything. The greatest gift that anyone could ever be given. You would think if you're Mary and Joseph, right, that you're on easy street. If I've got the son of God and I'm raising, wouldn't you expect that like everything would be perfect? And I would, I mean, if I'm Mary, I'm expecting that servants are going to feed me with grapes because I'm taking care of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's what I would expect. And I'm sure that they expected something like that. What I guarantee they did not expect is that they were going to have to get up, leave their family, leave their home, leave everything behind and flee to Egypt and live in exile for years. But that's what happened after the very first Christmas. Now, Mary and Joseph, as they were running, they said, I think how could this be happening? This should not be happening. We have Jesus, right? Jesus, he should be our safety net. Jesus should be our get out of jail free card. He's here. We're caring for him. We're raising for him. Everything should be perfect right now. What is going on? And I think that we can tend to do the same thing in our lives spiritually, those of us who are followers of Christ. Because I think sometimes we can go, well, look, I I've invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I follow Jesus. I try to live the way that he wants me to live. I try to behave the way he wants me to behave. I go to church. I sing the songs. I'm trying to live the best life that I can possibly give. And yet, even though Jesus is in my life, even though I have him with me, things are still falling apart. And things are still not working. And Jesus is in my life, but why is my mom still sick? And it's, Jesus, I invited you into my life. Why is my bank account still empty? You're my life, Jesus. Why can't I still find that perfect job or that perfect career path that I'm looking for? And like Mary and Joseph, you're looking at yourself and going, I've got Jesus in my life, but why does it feel like that I'm living in exile? Why does it feel like all of the great things that I I should have and should be experiencing in my life that I don't have them? It doesn't make sense. And, And there's a couple things, a couple spiritual principles about why sometimes bad is best that I want to take from this story. And and the first one is this, okay? First spiritual principle that I want you to understand, if Jesus is in your life, and yet still it feels like things are bad, 
And the first thing is this, is that trials perfect our faith. Okay, trials, hard times, difficult circumstances, they perfect our faith. I'm going to bounce around. I'm, we're going to look at just some other passages from the Bible, from the New Testament, really, where, where other writers are talking about this principle and how it works. And this is what James says. James was Jesus' brother, okay? James was raised with Jesus. He was his little brother, and that's who wrote this. James says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And this is the key line. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So James says this, here's the goal. We want to be perfect, right? We want to live the best life that we could possibly live here on this earth. That's the target. We want to be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And he says this, the only way to be perfect and complete is to develop endurance in your life. Is to develop patience. Is to develop faith. And the only way to develop faith and endurance and patience is to be tested and is to be tried. In fact, in, in Scripture, it, it talks a lot about when God is talking to his people. He, it, there's this kind of illustration of metal being tested by fire. And, and the way that works is that like, they would take silver back in the day, and they would put silver in a crucible, and they would heat it up until that silver would melt. And the, so it would be liquid silver, and then they would get it hotter and hotter and hotter. And the hotter that liquid silver got, the more the impurities would rise to the top. And then they would scrape off the nasty, impure, other metals that were tainting the silver and keeping it being pure, and they would get rid of it. And the more they did that, they would scrape off impurities, scrape off impurities, and it was being tested and heated, and it was in the fire, and they would scrape it off until finally they were left with perfect sterling silver. And James is saying this, man, when you face these things in your life, when you feel like, when you feel like your life is getting so hot that you can't take the heat anymore, lean into it, because this is what perfects your life. This is what is going to make you live the best life that you can possibly have because trials perfect our faith. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. He says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them, and get this, he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among, among many brothers and sisters. So Paul says this, we know that God causes everything to work for the good of those who love Jesus and who follow him. Why would you need to say that if the assumption is that everything that's going to happen in your life is, is going to be good? If you know everything's going to be good, well then obviously this just needs, this just needs to be unsaid. In this, is, there's this assumption, there's this understanding that bad things are going to happen. There's an understanding that you are going to go through tough circumstances, that you are going to face trials, that you are going to go through suffering in your life that you're going to be, that you're going to struggle with and you're going to be confused by, and it's not going to feel good. But what leads to the best things can feel like bad things, right? The things that lead us to the best things can often feel like bad things. But that's how God grows us. It's how he perfects us. It's how he changes us. Think about this. Anybody get a flu shot this year? I got a flu shot. I went to the doctor and they're like, do you want a flu shot? And I'm like, sure. Impromptu. I wasn't like mentally ready for it. And I've had them before, but I'm not a sissy. I can take a shot. It's no big deal. And I'm sitting on the thing and the nurse comes in and she's like, okay, here we go. And she just, she sticks a needle in my arm. And I don't know what happened, but like every muscle in my body just went, Ugh! and it's probably because I'm, I'm very muscly. And I think that like... 
maybe that's not, but I, I totally tensed up. And it was, I was just, and I literally, I go, you know, I make that noise. And she's like, oh, she's like, you got to relax, relax. And because the medicine can't go into my arm until I relax. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And so I let it go. And then finally the flu shot, you know, dispersed through my body and all was well. But oh my gosh, it was, it stunk. It was the worst. And, and the thing is, is that like getting the flu shot, I hated it. Having the flu shot and not getting the flu is the best thing that I could have happen because I don't want to get sick. But sometimes to not get sick, you have to go through an inoculation that isn't fun. Some NyQuil, dude, NyQuil tastes like hot trash, okay? But when you're sick, it helps. It makes you feel better. So I will drink a cup of hot trash if in the long run it is better for me, if it's best for me. There are things in our lives that feel bad, but in the long run will give us the best life that we could possibly live. And, we, and, and God is saying this. He's saying sometimes trials perfect your faith. Sometimes the hard things you're facing are what's literally best for you to change and transform your life. Second thing, trials perfect our faith. And the second thing, if you're writing this down, you just want to keep track. And that's this. It's that God always sees us through our trials. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, even if you're questioning and you're going, I have Jesus in my life. Why am I going through this? Even if you're walking through it and you're going, God, I don't feel you. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense why I should be running away to Egypt when I'm literally caring for and I'm raising your own son. God will always see us through our trials. Story in Matthew ends in Matthew chapter 2 verse 19. It says that when Herod died, so several years later, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And again, he says, get up. Joseph must have been laying around a lot, right? If the angel has to say, get up, he loved watching Netflix, I guess. So get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So they were off in Egypt, in exile, away from their family, away from their home. And yet the entire time, God was with them. God was watching over them. God was keeping track of where they were, and he was keeping track of the thing that could have really hurt them. And when it was cleared, God brought them back. And you need to know this, that whatever you're facing, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're going through, God will see you through it. God is walking through that trial with you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with you. His, his rod and his staff are there to comfort you, to guide you, and to lead you to the point eventually where he can bring you out of it with, with more endurance, with stronger faith, more perfect than you were when you walked in it. This is what Psalm 121 says. I love this. This is about God. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not sleep. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never tires and he never sleeps. There's nothing about your situation that God is missing. And he's not just observing you, he's watching over you. He's there to intervene. He's there to act on your behalf as you are walking through your difficult circumstance. God is with you. And Deuteronomy 31 says this. This is old school, but Old Testament school. But he says, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Now, this is important that we read this and it's important that we remember it and it's important that we know it because when we are in that hospital room and it feels like everything is hopeless and it feels like we are alone, 
and it feels like there's no good end in sight, we need to know this and remember this, that we don't have to be afraid or discouraged because our God is with us and that God is personally watching over you. God has personally gone before you. You know what that means? That, that means this. It's like God isn't gone before you like in a group, like we're just a big mass of people and God's just kind of going ahead of us, clearing a path. God is a personal God who wants a personal relationship with you as an individual And in your personal, individual life, your Father, who loves you, is walking ahead of you. And he's clearing a path. And he's preparing you for that difficult circumstance you're going to walk through. Because he wants so much more for you. He wants you to be able to live the best life you could possibly live. And it can only be achieved sometimes by walking through our trials. If you think about Jesus' life, just Jesus for a second. If you look at the arc of Jesus' life, his life started in exile, in hiding, because people were trying to kill him. And his life ended with people who were trying to kill him actually finishing the job. The arc of Jesus' life started in exile, started in hiding, and it ended by being crucified on a cross. Jesus walked a path of suffering. And he walked that path of suffering knowing it was coming. But do you know why he did it? He knew what it was going to lead to. Jesus walked a path of suffering because he knew that it would lead not just to his best life, but to our best life. Look at this. This is what Hebrews chapter 12 says. A writer of the New Testament says this. He says, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It kind of calls back a little bit, doesn't it, to what James said, to develop endurance. Let's endure this thing. Let's run this race. Let's not give up. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus started your faith, and he will see it through to completion. He wants to perfect it, because when your faith is made perfect, you will live the best life you could ever possibly live. And this life says it all. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. He suffered torture. He suffered pain. He suffered death. He suffered the shame of being labeled a traitor to Rome, the shame of being labeled uh, a criminal. Being crucified was the most shameful death that anyone could experience. You hung naked on a cross for hours and sometimes days until you died. And people would walk by and spit at you and mock you. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. And he endured all of this. And why? This is crazy. He endured it because of the joy awaiting him. Jesus suffered and it was a joy for him. Because it led him to a place where he could perfect our relationship with our Heavenly Father, through Jesus. He knew the end picture. He knew the end game. He knew the outcome of his suffering. He knew that it would not just make us perfect, but it would make our relationship with God perfect through the cross. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. Again, Paul writes this. He says, We, the church, we followers of Jesus... We are pressed on every side by troubles. Now that should tell you right out of the gate that if you're a follower of Jesus, that just because you invite Jesus in your life doesn't mean that everything is going to be smooth sailing from there on out. That there's a purpose, there's a reason, there's meaning. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. We're confused by all this. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand why I'm going through this. But we're not driven to despair. 
We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed because we get back up again. Because through suffering, like Jesus, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Ultimately, when we go through trials, here's what it does. It leads us to the best life we could live. Why? Because we are sharing in the life that Jesus lived and it makes us more like him. And when we are like Jesus, when we become more like Jesus, even then what the troubles and the suffering we walk through, the perspective on those things completely and drastically change because our hope, our faith, the meaning of what we're walking through becomes so much more than when we're walking through those things without Jesus. We're sharing in his suffering so that we can share in the eternal quality, the the quality of joy, the quality of purpose, the quality of fulfillment that we can only experience when we live a life for Jesus. Because a life closely following Jesus is the best life that you could possibly live. A life being changed into the image of Jesus, being lived like Jesus, loving other people like Jesus is the best life that you could possibly ever live. And sometimes what feels bad right now is best because it's leading you and it's perfecting you. And God is never closer than when we're suffering. God is never closer to us. The God who never sleeps, your father who never sleeps, your father who's always watching over you, your father who's walking ahead of you before you walk into your circumstance. He was there already. He knew what you were going to face and he's watching over you to prepare you and to equip you and to lead you through it so that you can walk through it on the other side made more perfect. And ultimately, at the end of the day, in Jesus, in Jesus, your difficulty has meaning. There's a There's purpose. There's meaning in what we walk through because God uses it to develop us, to grow us, to perfect us, to make us more perfect. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. I know that that there are people in this room and right now you're going through a difficult circumstance and you're hearing this and you're a follower of Jesus and you just had a lot of doubt and you're like, I just don't understand why Jesus would allow me to go through this. I I worship him. I I pray. I don't understand why I'm walking through this. And you're hearing this message and and you And you just need the capacity to look across to the other side of the river and see where you're headed and get your head out of where you are. And today you're you're just going, Chris, this is for me and I need this. And I'm walking through something difficult and I just need you to pray for me and to encourage me. But I'm putting my trust in Jesus today that he's doing something in my life and he's perfecting me. If that's you, you're going through something difficult and you just need prayer. Just lift your hand up right now. I'm going through something very difficult. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. And when you're not a follower of Jesus, the, the crap of life, the, the stuff that just hurts, the stuff that can break us, it's so much heavier. And you hear this and you're like, I want it to have meaning. I don't want, the, I don't want to just walk through this and have it just be meaningless suffering in my life. But I want, I want it to have meaning in my life. And I, I want to take this, this awfulness and I want to put it in God's hands. And I want to see God make something better out of this situation. And I want to see God make something better out of my life. Because I'm tired of fighting it on my own. And I'm tired of trying to make it on my own. And today, I'm just ready to say, Jesus, I'm in. You walked this path. You walked it before me. And you're ready to walk it with me. And, if, and, 
And Lord, I'm ready to just invite you to be the Lord and the leader of my life today. So today, if that's you, you ready to say, Jesus, take my life. Give it meaning and purpose that I've never known before. I need this. I need to follow Jesus today. If that's you, nobody's looking. Just quickly slip your hand up so I can pray for you. If that's you, thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone who lifted their hands, Jesus. Because everyone who lifted their hand is going through something hard. And I pray this with them, Jesus. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would strengthen them, Father. I pray that you would open their eyes to give them the perspective on what they're walking through to know this, that whatever it is, that God, you are with them, that you are for them, that you are walking ahead of them, you are walking beside them, and that you are ready to lead them through this. And that when they reach the other side, that they can have faith that they will be better than when they started this journey. That when they walk through on the other side, they will be made more perfect and more in the image of Christ. And And that will lead them to a better life, to the best life that they could ever live. And God, I pray with my friends who lifted their hands, who said, today I need to make a decision to invite Jesus into my life, to bring meaning to all of this. Father, with them I pray, God, and I just confess, I've tried this on my own and it's not working. I've tried it every way that I possibly can, and it's still not working. And Jesus, I need, I need to surrender myself to you, God. I give you my hopes and my dreams and ambitions. I give you my needs and anxieties and my hurts. And God, I just confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I'm flawed and I'm broken. And I'm asking you to come into my life and to make me more perfect. To start the process of making me like Jesus. Knowing that it may not mean that everything is good all the time, but knowing this, that even when it's not, that I have a father who's looking out for me, who never sleeps, who never slumbers, that I have a savior who is with me, who has a destination and a purpose and a meaning for my life. So Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray all of this in your name, Jesus, that you would bring us hope and healing and peace. Father, we love you and we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.